Yes, people, welcome back to Process, a podcast by me, Brendan Pearson. So today we are joined by Connor O'Keefe. So Connor is a YouTuber, professional footballer, and also a fellow goalkeeper, so part of the GK Union. Pleasure to have Connor on today's podcast. We'll talk a little bit about his journey, so his transition from leaving school, signing for Macclesfield Town, actually still pursuing the education route while being a full-time footballer, going to university and also having the opportunity to play out in Spain, how we found the different styles of goalkeeping, different styles of coaching and the lifestyle out there. We also give a little bit of advice for young footballers, especially young goalkeepers, and what's best to do at certain points from getting your first professional contract or maybe just turning full-time. And then we also discuss the ups and downs of pursuing professional football, especially as a goalkeeper where there's a lot of setbacks, there's a lot of times where you might be in and out of teams, you lose your confidence, and how Connor himself actually dealt with that. So it was a pleasure having Connor on, like I said before. Excuse my blocked nose, hair fever has hit me hard at the minute, so you might just have to deal with that. But we'll get on with the podcast. This is Process. Ron. Right. Welcome back to Process, everybody. Today we are joined by YouTuber, professional footballer, and also fellow goalkeeper. So it's nice to have a fellow GK Union member on the podcast. Connor O'Keefe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, mate. I appreciate yeah. it. No, nah, no worries. But it's good to have, like I said, a fellow goalkeeper, but also talking about, I think we're similar ages as well, talking about your journey, because your journey is quite an interesting one. It's not this, like the normal, typical yeah. footballer progressing like, through the ranks. You've been here, there and everywhere. So we'll start mm-hmm. off with, well, kind of leaving school, which is kind of when football starts getting really interested and, and that you start pursuing your, your path. Kind of what did yeah. you do from the age of like 16 going out of school? So at kind of 15, 16, as like you'll know from, from your time at, at Newcastle, obviously it comes to the point where you know that people are being considered for youth team contracts or being let go or basically being kept on for a scholarship. At that point, I was with a club called Macclesfield Town, which was my local team. Um, they were in League Two at the time. Um, so I was part of their centre of excellence. So it wasn't like a huge kind of Cat One Academy or, or anything from a, from a big club, but it was still a decent decent level of football, being a football league club. Um, and I'd been there since the age of 12, and I'd kind of just kept progressing through. And when it came to around the age of 16, and I was offered a youth team scholarship, I was obviously really happy because I wanted to be a footballer. I'd been at the club a long time, and I wanted to keep progressing. But kind of at that age, I was, I was always a big believer in education and in school and I always enjoyed school and I was good at school and um, I kind of knew the importance of, of my studies and I think at bigger clubs it's a slightly different story but at Macclesfield and from from other clubs at a similar level I knew that by leaving school at 16 I would be joining the club obviously full-time as a, as a scholar and I'd be doing their education setup which at that point was a BTEC in sports science I think yeah. and that wasn't really something that I was that interested in. I didn't, funnily enough, even though I played football, I was never that interested in studying sports science. And I wanted to do my A-levels at, um, at sixth form. And so I was in quite a unique position where I was playing for a club, which was obviously my local town team, but I was also studying at a school in that town. And I kind of approached the club and said, listen, would you be open to the opportunity for me to do my scholarship, but still go to school and do my A-levels? 
Um, at the time, a lot of the funding for the scholars was secured through the education program. So it was obviously quite difficult for the club. But thankfully, with the help of the club and the school and, and my parents, we kind of came to an arrangement where I would still go in and train every single day, play every game. But then in the afternoons and the evenings, I'd go back to my school and, and do my extra classes and, and study for my A-levels. So as a result, I wasn't actually able to sign as a scholar and I had to sign as I was basically a trialist for two years. But I did every session, I did every game, I played everything. And a lot of people said, oh, you won't be able to manage the two. But I thankfully came out with two A's and a B in English, Lit, Maths and, and Business Economics and was still offered a pro at the age of 18. So I managed to combine the two through a lot of kind of time management and, and help from the club and the school. But in terms of the age of 16 to 18, my kind of time in football and education was a little bit different to most guys who then go into the full-time game. Yeah, no, fair play to you for doing that though, because I'm a big believer in the, like, still doing the education. Like I was the same when I left school, went to Newcastle, they'd done the, the B-Tech sport mm -hmm. thing, which is for me, I always had an interest in it anyway. And mm -hmm. I ended up doing like the extended diploma, which I, led, I could have enough UCAS points to go to university. So yeah. I was a big believer in always doing stuff. And I think a lot of lads, they're in the mindset of, like, as soon as they leave school, they're like, oh, whatever I did at school. Like, even, like, a few lads, when I get to the GCSEs, they end up sacking it off because they're, yeah. they're in the mindset, like, oh, I've got a scholarship, a, a Premier League team or a championship team or whatever, even down League 2 conference. They just yeah. think, like, oh, well, my, my life's sorted for me now. I'm going to go and do this. Like, oh, there's education there. I'll do that and stuff. But I think, like, examples like yourself is, like, I think a lot of the young lads should kind of take what you've done. You've also sacrificed not, like, not having that scholarship contract and being like a trialist mm -hmm. almost for two years. Mm -hmm. Well, having an education and then obviously anything could happen in those two years, football-wise. Yeah, you might technically might not be good enough. You might have an injury. Something might happen. And yeah. You might have to drop out of football and then you would have that opportunity to go to university, which I know you did, do further education. And then yeah. a lot yeah. of lads, they come out, come out of school, go full-time at the football and then it doesn't happen for them and then they're like, what do I do? And they'll just go and find whatever job they can and it is, mm -hmm. it, and then obviously the mental side of it as well, it's very tough kind of coming back from that but perfect example there. So we'll talk a little bit about your time at Mattersfield. Um, mm -hmm. So you got your pro contract at the end. Uh, mm -hmm. What did you do kind of that following season? How did that go for you? Well, it was it was an interesting season because I think it was so intense, the two years of combining being a YT and going back and studying at school. And um, in terms of kind of the amount of work I had to do and kind of planning it. And I enjoyed it. It was good, but it was, it was a hard graph to get through the both of them and do well at both of them. And when I was actually offered the, the full-time contract at Macclesfield and became part of the first team, I was third choice goalkeeper. So I was the kind of the young lad of the three, really. The two lads ahead of me had um, played football, league football. They were experienced pros and I was kind of, I mean, it was great for me. I was learning off them every day, training with the first team every day. Um, at that point, Macclesfield were, in, were then in the conference and we were kind of pushing to try and get promoted back to League Two. Um, and I mean, from a football point of view, I learned a lot from being in and around the first team all the time and, and being a part of it. But in terms of games, I didn't really play very often I was on the bench a few times I had some loan moves kind of local teams non-league teams <clears throat> and I only really got about 12 to 15 games in that season from a combination of loan moves which as a young keeper you want to play as many games as you possibly can yeah. and that was kind of something that was 
in my head and coming towards the end of that season I mean it's funny you, you mentioned obviously Loughborough and, and going to university but in that year I never wanted to go to university I always wanted to, I was like well I'm a pro now I'm a, I'm a footballer I need to keep progressing as a footballer and I was kind of looking to see if I could maybe move to a club which had an under 23s team or like an established reserve team which played a lot of games and ultimately I kind of had the offer from Loughborough University because of the A-level process that I'd been through. I'd done the UCAS applications just because they told me to do it, basically. Mm-hmm. And Loughborough had offered me a degree and I'd said I'd deferred it because I had the, the contract from Macclesfield. But the more that I came towards the end of the year and I looked at the lads that were ahead of me, I think the number one was 25, 26. The number two was 24. I was 18, 19. And I was thinking, I went to have a look at Loughborough and I had a look at the setup there and, and especially the football programme. Because I think for people that don't know, Loughborough University is like the biggest sports university yeah. in the UK. Like it's the, it's the base for British athletics, British swimming, England, uh, England cricket, England netball. So like the kind of the sports setup is, is ridiculous. And I went to have a look at the football programme and it was basically run like a full-time football club. You would train pretty much every day, be that in the gym or on the pitch you had snc's physios nutrition support psychologists um you played non-league as well as university games so lads were getting 40 50 60 games a season and i kind of looked at that and i thought well i could go there and play at a high level of football develop because of the program get in loads of games but also get a degree and come out of it still younger than the lads who were ahead of me at at macclesfield and try and get back into full-time football so that was kind of where I went from then, really. Yeah, I think the point that you made about being a young lad and you were third choice, like I was I was in the same position. It was funny, like I finished my two-year scholar and then I got like a third-year apprenticeship sort of thing. They weren't really giving out too many pro contracts. It was like a third. And I was the yeah. same. I didn't... I, education was finished. So I didn't have that. And then I was also just training a lot. Like, so luckily I had the opportunity to be around the first team. And so I trained a lot, but I wasn't playing a lot of games because it was either... Mm-hmm. The first team keepers would drop down and play the reserve games. Um, or like there was a lad who was a year older than me who used to play a lot of the reserve games. So I was just sitting on the bench. I went out on loan for a little bit. Again, picking up a few games, but not a lot. So that season, I was probably similar mm. to you. Trained a lot, had loads of exposure with the first team, but yeah. not a lot of actual games. So I think what you the thing that you had in your head about, right, I go to a, a university like Loughborough, which is like, I know what Loughborough is like, it's ridiculous great yeah. setup really professional setup like even up yeah. here we've got Northumbria University in Newcastle like something yeah. like that where the setup's really yeah. good get because you play that you play the non-league and then you play the university league as well there's obviously yeah. opportunities to play cup games and whatever go and do that and get 60 plus games in there'll be scouts watching left right and centre mm-hmm. as well like there's always that opportunity that a scout could come and say right we want to offer you a pro contract somewhere Mm. Uh, you, you could take it or you could continue education there's so many opportunities so I think the route that you've took a lot of young lads are scared or maybe it's an ego thing I don't know I think a lot of them do mm. have that ego like oh I'm going to university I'm I not. think like um, yeah I think that lads can feel protected especially I mean it's a little bit different with reserve team football or, or Premier League 2 football and I haven't actually been a part of that program because of the level that I was at so I can't speak entirely for it but I know that from my experience when you're in and around the first team you're training every day you feel part of the first team squad but you don't have the vulnerability of being out on a pitch on a Saturday you do feel somewhat in your comfort zone and you can kid yourself into believing that you're developing because you're in that 
environment, but you're not you're not a first team player because you're not playing. And yeah. from my point of view, it was it was so important. I knew that I'd learned a lot from the training. I had developed a lot, but if I wanted to progress, I needed to play games, whatever level that was. And I mean, Loughborough, like you say, the setup's brilliant. I mean, the first team that we had, I was part of the first team for kind of all three years in my degree. And the first team was full of lads like myself who'd been at pro clubs and kind of gone on to get education and at really high level. But even in terms of the non-league, we were playing step five non-league. So ninth tier of English football. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it wasn't a high level. I mean, obviously the, 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 the university league, it was the top university league with Northumbria and other universities like that. But in terms of the non-league stuff, it wasn't a high level, but it taught me how to play men's football. I got yeah. 120 odd games in, in three years, which I never would have had at Macclesfield. So it kind of, it, it did introduce me to actually play in men's football on a regular basis, completing full seasons. And if you want to become a, a professional, you need to have that experience as a young player and it's difficult as a keeper. So you need mm-hmm. to go and find that whatever level you can really. Yeah, I think for goalkeeping, especially as a young goalkeeper, playing at any level, you're going to get experience. Yeah. Like It's different, obviously, being an outfielder because the style of play is completely different. Like the same, It is for goalkeepers as well, but it, I don't feel like it probably does you as a young lad a lot more, like a lot better. It's probably better for you as a young lad to go out alone and play non-league play really low down rather than just sit and do nothing like it's more of the goalkeeper than anybody else I think just because you're getting that exposure to a lot more physicality you might be young 16 17 18 year old playing against 30 odd year old at a non-league level and they they look at you and think right he's a young lad I'm going to make his life misery and it's a physical battle Mm -hmm. the complete different side of the game compared Mm -hmm. to like academy setups where you are like you said you are very protected you've probably got a little bit more time on the ball. Like, non-league, someone's on you straight away. Like, the, the pressure and stuff as well, because yeah. you, you've got adults and stuff shouting at you and stuff like that. It's a completely different exposure. So, I think mm-hmm. getting out, even mm-hmm. if it is... Like, I was 17 and I went to play, it would have been a similar level. So, we've got the Northern League, which is what North Umbria yeah. play. Yeah. I was 17 and went and played a few games. And I, it honestly done me the world of good, confidence-wise, mm-hmm. just to get those mm-hmm. games in an atmosphere where there's, there's a few fans watching as well who obviously pay. Yeah. You do get some like loud, crazy fans who will give you abuse as well from behind the goal yeah. a lot of yeah. the time, which you probably know. So that exposure as a young lad is, I think, massively crucial. And you've, like you said, you've got 100 and something games in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. As a goalkeeper, you don't learn unless you play games. Exactly, like it's, it's, it's fine being technically great and stuff, but playing games is where when it really matters. Definitely. So we'll move on a little bit. So you went to Loughborough. How long were you at Loughborough for in total? So I had a I had a four year degree at Loughborough, um, but part of the degree was a, a study abroad year. So in my third year, I did an Erasmus year. So that was yeah. in Madrid, in Spain, and so I had three years in Loughborough altogether. But my my degree was four years. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about when you kind of you obviously went to Spain and stuff, and you mm-hmm. decided to pursue obviously football out there. Since you were going to be out there for a year, kind of that journey. Because yeah. I've I've read a little bit about it and how about the envelopes and stuff. But I'll let you tell, yeah. tell the story. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think first of all, it was it was interesting because you had the choice. You could either do a placement year in industry, working full time, which a lot of my course mates, my housemates did, or you could do the study abroad option. And I mean, for me, my aim was still to progress in football and to be part of full-time football when I left university. So if I was to do a year kind of full-time in placement, I didn't feel I'd be able to get as much 
of the football side of things as I'd, as I'd want. So I knew that the university had the link with the university in Madrid. Um, and once I kind of had applied for it and knew that I was going to be studying there for the year, I went out there really early, I think uh, late June, early July, uh, basically to just try and find a club because I didn't have an agent at the time. I mean, I had no connection with Spanish football. I had, I couldn't speak Spanish and I kind of realized that I had to find a club if I wanted to play football whilst I was out there. So I built a, I built an Excel spreadsheet really with every club in the Madrid area from like Real Madrid and Atleti down to the sixth, seventh tier. And I kind of put in every club, every kind of manager, all their contact details, all their addresses. And I went with my girlfriend who thankfully could speak Spanish. And we literally drove around every single club and we drove to them and, and I read like kind of handwritten um, letters in Spanish kind of saying who I was, why I was here, what, where I played and, and asking for a trial basically. And um, kind of delivered those golden envelopes because I thought if it was in a golden envelope, people would find it interesting. They'd open it, they'd read it rather than just throwing it away. So um, yeah, we delivered them everywhere. We did Real Madrid, Atleti, Hatafe, Leganes, all the way down. And I kind of amazingly managed to get pre-season uh, training with a club called Raya Bayacano, who are quite a big club in Madrid. They've been part of the first division for a long time. They're in the second division at the moment. I did pre-season with their B team and then ended up signing for a club called Fuenlabrada, who were in the third tier at the time, full-time. Um, and they're now in the second tier. That they're, they're doing really well. But I was there kind of for a year and it, it was it strangely mirrored my time when I was doing my A-levels because I trained in the morning. I was a third choice goalkeeper, kind of part of Spanish professional football learning from, I mean, the two keepers ahead of me wanted to play for Real Madrid and Atafe wanted to play for Malaga and Espanyol. And I'm learning off these guys every day. I mean, there was lads in the team who played for Atletico Madrid, Argentina. Like I was learning from incredible pros learning a new style of goalkeeping and football because the way they do it in Spain is completely different to what we've done here in the UK. And kind of from that, then going to study in the university in the afternoon and, and trying to do my, my degree at the same time. So again, it was really kind of unusual, but really interesting and, and development year for me as a, as a goalkeeper, but also, also as a person. Yeah, we'll say two things to touch up on like it's great that you use your own initiative and with the little goal envelope thing, which I quite like, just to kind of get your word out. Because I think a lot of people, just in the scenario, obviously your scenario was you were going out somewhere for education and stuff, but like lads who are leaving clubs and trying to find new teams trial and stuff, I think a lot of them kind of just leave it all to the agents or whatever, which is a big thing these days, just to sort it out. And I've done a podcast with one of my mates talking about trialing and trialing places is just an absolute nightmare because teams can just invite you down and then make the worst excuse in the world. But you waste yeah. your time sort of thing. So I think yeah. the side that you've done, it's obviously you, you're seeing it as this is my life, this is my career, I'm going to put a bit of effort into this, get a list mm -hmm. of people, get all the numbers and stuff and actually show them that like, like show them your interest sort of thing and doing it yourself mm -hmm. rather than letting other people doing it which is a good thing I think a lot of young lads can take in. And the second thing as well is the style of goalkeeping in Spain. It is completely mm. different. Talk us a little bit about what the training, like what was the difference you found to the, the both coaching and the kind of style of football out there? I think the thing was when I first arrived there, the first thing I kind of noticed from especially the goalkeepers is they were so laid back in their training. 
like very kind of almost lackadaisical in the way they'd approach exercises. <clears throat> they'd do their work and then they'd kind of jog the way around and like reset. And I mean, you see it sometimes if you do watch some of the Latin American or, or Spanish or Portuguese goalkeepers, even here in the UK, like they're very laid back in, time, in terms of how they approach their work. And the way that I was always brought up is, I mean, I'm not the tallest keeper. So I always made sure that I was the fastest and I was the strongest and I was the most athletic. And I looked at these keepers and I was like, right, I'm going to absolutely blast them. Like, I'm going to go so intense on this session and make them look silly. And like, I'd approach all this and I'd go with like the kind of British brazen attitude and like try and destroy it. I mean, it was hard enough in the heat. I kind of understood why they did it once I got outside in preseason at like 40 degrees. But the, the keeper coach kind of took me aside and he was like, listen, like, it's brilliant that you're so fast and so powerful. It's great. But if you watch them, their footwork is perfect. Their positioning is perfect. Their handling is perfect. Their technique is down to a T. Because you're blasting your way through it, you're making little mistakes with your technique. You're getting your positioning slightly wrong. You're not getting your hands slightly right. So what he said to me is like, let's break down your technique, make sure your technique's perfect in terms of your positioning, your footwork, your handling, all that kind of stuff. And then if you can add on top of that, the speed, the power and the intensity, then you're going to have a level of goalkeeping that both sides of the UK and Spain won't have because you'll be able to combine the two. So that was kind of a real eye opener for me and something that I really tried to put into my game was developing that technical focus that they have on in Spanish football with the kind of British intensity and physical ability that I'd kind of developed through my career so far. Yeah. I don't know a lot of like English coaches, like old school coaches, they are very much like 100%. Like it's like 100 miles an hour all the time, like yeah. in your face. Yeah. Like I've had a few I could think off the top of my head who are like that. But like you said, the more modern day goalkeeper is a lot more relaxed. Like I think uh, mm -hmm. Joe Hart talked about it, I think, in a while. Because he's got a, a little podcast thing called Gloved. I've talked and uh, listened to yeah. him. He very talks good. about like, was it the World Cup or something? But he just felt he was like putting so much pressure on himself. He was really wound up and stuff and he just wasn't focused. And then mm -hmm. obviously he went through that, that rough patch and stuff where he wasn't playing very well, he was out the team, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think he came out of it at the end of it a lot more calm. I think he changed his mindset, which I think like the modern day goalkeeper is a lot more relaxed, calm. I think yeah. it does help you focus. And I think because goalkeeping is such a high pressure job as well, it's a high pressure situation. Having yeah, that definitely. relaxed mindset, as long as you're not completely just like mm -hmm. out there, your head's not in the game, like that relaxed mindset does help you. Like the likes of Edison, he's the most relaxed, chilled goalkeeper. But yeah, technically, it's just how relaxed you'll get the ball, you'll have a strike or two yards away, you'll just like one, two it round people. Like, yeah, you've got to have some calm and some like some concentration at the same time to be able to do that. So, I do like, I think the likes of like the, the foreign goalkeepers coming over to the UK have brought that mentality. And I noticed the last few years, uh, when I was professional, that the goalkeeping style. Like in England had changed at that top yeah. level. Like we had yeah. Martin Dubravka came in, who was very much like that, relaxed and stuff, but technically just spot on. Like his feet yeah. and everything were just very, That's very good. So yeah, it is it is interesting how the kind of style of the game has changed. But I think a lot of it is influenced by the likes of Spanish goalkeepers. Like mm -hmm. back in the day, like the Valles and stuff, that was probably the earlier, earlier days. So talking about so YouTube as well. So when did you mm -hmm. start your YouTube channel. I know you had a few highlights and stuff on there beforehand. Yeah, I kind of started it properly that year when I went to Spain. So, yeah. I mean, 
I'd spoken about it with <clears throat> one of my housemates, a lad called Johnny Wong, who we still work on YouTube stuff together. Yeah. He, um, when we were at university, he was really into kind of videography and making videos. I didn't really, I was not into kind of social media. I didn't even have an Instagram account. Like it, it wasn't kind of something that I was that bothered about. And I remember kind of talking with Johnny and, and we would talk cause he used to watch like Casey Neistat vlogs and, and kind of yeah. all that world. And I wasn't really, I never really knew anything about it, but he would tell me about it and it kind of started planting a seed in my head that it would be cool to document your story and kind of looking back on my career, like you said, it had already been a bit weird and, and wonderful in terms of how I progressed as a footballer, not the usual route. And um, as soon as I went to Spain and I kind of realized that what I was doing with the, like the driving round and the golden envelopes, getting these trials and joining these teams, I kind of thought to myself, if I was a young keeper, I'd, especially a young British keeper, I'd love to kind of see the path of someone who was going abroad, playing abroad, trying to make it as a pro, trying to get back into the game, but following it along with them as it happened. So, I mean, we've all seen like the Ronaldo film, the Conor McGregor film, like they're incredible, but you know that they make it. So you know where it ends. And I kind of always had this feeling that it would be cool to make something where neither myself nor the audience would know where it would go, whether I'd make it to the top and be the best keeper in the world or whether I wouldn't even make it as a pro. And so I kind of rang up Johnny and I said, listen, like, this might be quite cool. We could start making these vlogs and, and, and doing something on YouTube. And that year in Spain, we started making a few, but we weren't very consistent. We kind of did one a month, really. I mean, the story was amazing. Like, even the club I was at, we, we had a really good run in the Copa del Rey and we managed to get Real Madrid home and away. So like we went to the Bernabeu and got a 2-2 draw against Madrid and, and things like that. So like the stuff that was going on was mad, but like I was filming it on my phone. We were kind of, the editing wasn't great. Like it was all kind of very raw. And then it's kind of progressed since then. Obviously I came back to Loughborough and, and we were housemates again and the quality stepped up. And, and even now we've, we've, we've kind of took it to a, a much higher level of quality and consistency putting them out on a weekly basis now um but yeah that was kind of where the idea came from initially yeah i like the idea around it as well though because i don't think a lot of young lads know the actual path of what it actually takes especially when you don't go down that typical route of going to academy and then progressing to the first team or going out and loan from an academy like once you're in that academy setup you're in you're in a bubble i feel like yeah. I tell a lot of lads you are very in, in a bubble and it is not so. I'm not say it's easier, but you are protected by a lot of people. So, showing exposing the route outside of that, and especially from the education side, which you've came from, which yeah. is great as well. Exposing that, talking about your steps and your steps about trialing and sending out envelopes to people and stuff like that is great. So, now I've enjoyed it. I've looked at a few of your videos and stuff, and you've got some good little Thank technical you. videos and stuff. Now, no, it's but I enjoy all that. And to be fair, I've thought about doing something like that myself, but obviously, I don't really know if I'm pursuing. I'm not talking about that because that's in my that's in my own head at the minute. But it is good to see you kind of, like I said, exposing that and yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think the 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 thing is like, I think the thing that we've learned is just putting out kind of your story and and being consistent with it and being truthful and honest with it. So I mean, I've made vlogs when I've been man of the match or team of the week or signing contracts, but yeah, I've been making nice. them when I've been injured, when I've been in poor form when I've like let in four or five goals, like it's the, it's the reality of kind of life as, as a, as a goalkeeper and trying to make yeah. it. And 
I mean, like you said, people at the very top, you're, you're protected and, and probably rightly at that level that they need to be looked after, but it, you don't see the real story. You don't see what it's really like and what those lads really have to go through. Uh-huh. And I mean, for myself, it was kind of just making sure that whether I was filming it on my phone or whether I was filming it with proper kit and lighting and stuff, it didn't really matter. The point was that it was documenting an honest truth and an honest journey and sharing it with people. And I mean, we're still doing that now. I don't know where it'll go or how long it'll go on for, but I've really enjoyed the kind of process of building it and, and yeah. building and seeing such a kind of community build around it of people who really take value from it. That's been yeah. Nice. I like as well how you literally just, like you said, you started out with just film stuff on your iPad, or your iPhone, sorry, and just mm-hmm. kind of progressed from there. So I think a lot of people who are debating it now is the same. Like I've started putting out a few videos and stuff, and I'm just starting with whatever camera I had anyway. And I'm, yeah. I'm editing things on my, my iPad at the minute because my laptop's horrendous. Yeah. Like really yeah. bad. I'm hoping the same, but just getting started on something. And not, I think a lot of people don't want to start things because they're like, oh, I'll wait until I have enough money to buy this the right equipment yeah. and stuff and they want to start perfect so mm-hmm. like like you said just you can't start. can't start perfect like yeah. you look like i look back at the first videos i did and like i'm petrified of the camera i'm like frozen yeah. i'm like umming and ahhing talking nonsense like hey, the editing's not good you can't start perfect and i mean the whole point is like so many people will think of reasons that they can't start or they'll be worried about other people's opinions and they'll be worried about what people think of them and and if you want to do something, you've got to really just banish all that from your brain and go, right, I'm just going to go for it. And I'm going to learn as I go. And I'm not going to care about numbers or views or subscribers because then I'll just start making content that isn't me. I'll just start putting out my truth and my story and I'll learn as I go. And, and hopefully it builds into something. And that's kind of the, the mindset I've had with it. Yeah, that's the best thing to do. Like, if you enjoy putting the content out and stuff, and you're going to keep on doing that, you're only going to progress, and it's only going to grow. Like, if you enjoy something, like the consistency, consistency is always going to be there. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, if it grows at like the pace that yours has, which is great, you're you're over the moon. But if it doesn't grow, if it takes a little bit longer, it takes an extra two or three years to get to that point. You're okay with that because you're enjoying actually putting the content. Out. That's the same. That's what I'm doing. It's exactly. purely purely for enjoyment and then if I get a few views and stuff I'm like oh perfect if an opportunity comes from it then perfect exactly exactly yeah so we'll move on to so you were in Spain you came back to Loughborough after that mm-hmm. did you to finish off mm-hmm. your finish off your degree kind of what was your where did your football career go after there so yeah I came back to Loughborough and it was almost it was quite difficult to come back given like the kind of experiences I'd had in Spain yeah. and and I would have loved to have stayed there but Obviously, I'd done three years of a degree that I wasn't going to walk away from in the final stretch. So came back, finished the degree and, and played for Loughborough for kind of one more season. Graduated in July 2019. And then it was a process of trying to get back into full-time football wherever I could. So, I mean, like you say, if you're kind of out of the football system or the out of the football kind of hierarchy, it's quite difficult to get back into it. Um, again, my kind of summer was filled with contacting clubs, contacting agents, trying to find an opportunity. Um, and really the, the kind of the, the main opportunity that came from it was to go into play in Gibraltar. And it was quite an interesting one because uh, Gibraltar is a, a foreign territory of the UK um, attached to mainland Spain. So it's a really small, not even country, it's a really small territory and not many people very kind of small area there's 
there's one football stadium which every team shares so you play in the same place um and it it wasn't somewhere that I'd been before but obviously the fact that I'd played in Spain I had an understanding of kind of what it might be like um in Gibraltar there's a big mix of of Spanish players who come across the border and play uh, there's obviously lads from Gibraltar and then there's kind of lads from all around Europe and even and even the world and I got offered an opportunity with a club called Europa Point and they wanted me to come in and play as a number one. And again, at 23, 24, I wanted to go somewhere that I would play and they offered me that opportunity and I kind of went there. We had a, we had a tough year in the fact that we weren't getting results, but it was a good year for me. Well, a good kind of six months for me in the fact that I was really, really busy. So I could like perform really well and, and build up my reputation in a new league and a new country. Um, and managed on the back of that to get a move in the in the January transfer window to a to a bigger team in Gibraltar, and was playing there until unfortunately the um, the kind of effect of COVID nineteen and the league was was cancelled. So it, it's been an interesting year for sure, and I really enjoyed kind of my time out there and, and learning a new style of football and playing in a different league. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of trying to find the opportunity in that summer and, and it led to Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of, um, I think there's a lot I know as well who's playing out in Gibraltar, or has played out in Gibraltar. You see a lot of lads who are doing that and then the Cyprus as well, a lot of people go to. Yeah. So I think there is opportunities, especially at a young age, to go and play, like you said, senior football and then there's always the opportunity of, because they can go to Europe and stuff, the Champions League mm-hmm. through that league. I know people. Yeah, that was it. Like, so if you came, if you came top, if you won the league, you got into the Champions League qualifiers, and if you if you came yeah. second or third, you got into Europa League qualifiers. So, in a league of only twelve teams, like you got you got a good chance of getting European yeah. football. That's massive. Yeah. Like you see them on TV, like these tiny little teams that are playing against like. Barcelona yeah. or stuff like that like you see teams in Scotland like Rangers and stuff going around playing so there's always there's exposure and then you never know where that could mm-hmm. take you so if you're playing against like for example a Rangers or a Celtic or something like that yeah you, you're not you're not only getting the experience of traveling and playing in front of a big crowd but you're getting the exposure of like TV and there's more people mm-hmm. who can actually see it and you never know when mm-hmm. your career can kind of go from them uh, so there's plenty of opportunity how, how are you finding it living over there is it just kind of similar to to living in Spain, like a similar sort of setup. Well, it was funny because I mean, I'm, I moved over there with my girlfriend, and we we chose to live in Spain and kind of travel to Gibraltar. So we were living in a town called Estepona, which was just up the coast, which is an amazing place. Um, and it was about half an hour really to get to Gibraltar. Um, but the um, so we we always enjoyed living in Spain. I from my year, like I'd learned Spanish, we like both of us, we enjoyed kind of the Spanish culture and, and, and life and we enjoyed living there. But <clears throat> playing in, in Gibraltar itself was really interesting. Like I'd, I'd never been before is you kind of, you cross the border and because it's a, it's a foreign territory of the UK, you cross the border and suddenly you've got the exact same road signs as you have in the UK. You've got red double-decker buses, you've got like red post boxes. Like it's like being back at home but in 30 degrees, it's like really, it's like really quite it's like a bad, time warp. It's quite funny. And I mean, even the stadium itself, it's an amazing stadium. At, at one end behind the goal, you've got quite the, um, you've got the rock of Gibraltar, which is amazing kind of sight, a really huge white facing rock. And then behind the other goal, you've got the airport. So you can be taking a goal kick and if it been Boeing 747s yeah. landing behind you, which is like mad. Yeah. And so like there was loads of kind of weird and quirky things, but it was, it was a really interesting experience. I enjoyed it a lot. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty good to be fair. Moving over there and how hot is it? Like 25, 30 degree heat or something like that? Yeah, it was like, it was just sunny all the time. It was, it was lovely. Yeah. So I, it's, it would be amazing to go over there and stuff like that. So talking about your journey, obviously you've went through ups and downs and stuff along the way from Matsfield all the way to the point where mm-hmm. you're at now in Gibraltar. Has there been any point along the way where you've, you found it really tough mentally, obviously just at that way, it might just be moving away, it might have been a tough point for you, obviously moving away from family and stuff, and then also mm-hmm. maybe not thinking that your career is going down the path that at first, was, was there any sort of times where you, you struggled a little bit or any moments along the way? Yeah, the first, well, the main one that springs to my mind was, I think probably second year at Loughborough, and I'd gone into Loughborough and kind of, whenever I go into a new place, I've got a very, um, positive and confident attitude towards it I always go in thinking right I'm going to show everyone what I can do I'm going to show everyone the level that I'm at and my first year at Loughborough kind of as a as a fresher going straight into the first team number one playing every game I like had a great year really enjoyed it and performed really really well and then in my second year I kind of started to have a slump in form wasn't performing very well um kind of the management team as a result dropped me didn't want me to play which was fair enough. I wasn't playing very well, but I took it really badly. I kind of um, got really upset and worked up about it and and obviously annoyed at them and kind of came to the point where I was, I was, I was, I remember I was kind of really upset thinking I'd come to Loughborough to get back into professional football. I was playing against, well, I wasn't even playing. I was on the bench against these kind of step five non-league teams, not even playing. I and mean, when I did play, not playing well. And I was thinking, like, am I kidding myself? Like, if I'm not doing it here, like, I'm not going to, I'm never going to make it where I want to go. And I remember at that point, really kind of strongly considering just not playing football anymore and kind of changing my my goals and, and the things that I wanted to do in my life. And it was a really difficult time. And I, I kind of, I remember, th- like I say, thinking about quitting. But the way that I kind of saw it was I knew that I had the opportunity to go to Spain. I knew that I had the opportunity to do a new thing next season. And I kind of set my head on the fact that, right, I'll just build up to that year and I'll just get my head down. I'll, I'll ask them what I need to get better at in order to play. I'll keep working. I'll keep improving. And the second half of that year was strongly focused on just setting myself tiny little goals with my football to keep progressing. And when I hit one of those goals, I'd hit another goal, I'd hit another goal. And suddenly I'm on a roll of confidence again. I'm playing well. I'm back in the team. We get good results against big teams. I'm performing well. And then I go into Spain and I have all the experiences that I had and then everything since then. And I know looking back now, if I'd have quit, the amount of stuff I wouldn't have had and wouldn't have experienced as a result. Um, But everyone goes through those, those moments, regardless of your career path and what you want to do. And the way I've kind of found as best of coming through it is setting those really small goals for you to do each day or each week that you know will help you and progress you and the feeling of achieving those little goals can can kick you on to achieving bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones and suddenly you run a roll again and that was kind of the process I went through with that mm-hmm. yeah well as a goalkeeper it is the toughest position in the world because literally if you mess up that's it. It's either a goal, and then if you kind of consecutively having a few bad games and stuff, you are at the team. And I th- yeah. when you do make a mistake, it does absolutely like, it knocks your confidence massively. When you've got people shouting at you, and you've made a mistake, you've let your team down and stuff. So there is a lot of yeah. pressure, and I think there is probably a lot of goalkeepers out there who can kind of well, not just goalkeepers, any any player really who can understand that feeling of like God, I wish I didn't do this anymore. Especially when 
you were at one level and then maybe you're out out of the team, you drop your confidence yeah. and then you, you, you kind of lose sight of what you want to do. You do feel like quitting. There's a lot of lads who probably do get to a low point and feel like completely quitting football. But mm. you can apply that in, in real life as well. Like if you're a self-employed businessman, a business idea might not work out and then yeah. you might think like, oh, I might just set this off. Like I've done a podcast with my mate Jordan who runs a one-to-one coaching business and to start with, it didn't take off. It took him about mm. four or five months to actually take off. The start of the first few months, he was like, I'm getting no interest here. I'm not getting any clients. Mm. This isn't going to work. Mm. He did the bait quitting it, but I think if you kind of just keep pursuing it and like you said, set yourself some little goals, maybe mm. put your focus on like an, a little bit of a longer-term goal, and just work towards that and chip away day by day, even if like you may be on. Because when you're confidence coach, you, you feel like technically you're not great. Like you, you do. Yeah. I had moments where my confidence wasn't there. And I was like, I feel like I've lost all the ability. Like last week, like a few weeks ago, I could have saved that shot or I could have pinged the ball to my right back perfectly. But now I feel like I'm just kicking the ball out of play or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just kind of set yourself little goals, and it's you've got to have a sort of. You've got to have a lot of belief in yourself, even in times where you are struggling mentally, that right, I know mm-hmm. I'm capable of doing that. Right now, I might not be able to do it due to whatever circumstances, but just keep chipping away at it, and eventually you will get to the point. Just don't quit. It's a perfect... Exactly. And I mean, I mean, to highlight exactly how small the goals were, like I wasn't sitting there going, right, I'm going to be a professional footballer in three years. Yeah. I was going, right, I'm going to complete 10 passes at training on Tuesday night. That was yeah. like as small as the goal would get. Yeah. And I'd kind of, and slowly you hit 10 passes and you're like, great, next week I'm going to try and hit 10 with my left foot. And you hit 10 with your left foot and you kind of slowly build it up like that. That's how small I set the goals. Yeah. And it kind yeah. of builds up from there. Yeah, no, I'm a big believer in the little goals. Cause I think if you do set yourself, I think well, every kid wants to be a professional footballer in the Premier League like when mm-hmm. they're younger. Everyone's got mm-hmm. that. But I think when you, you get to a certain point, if you're still constantly setting yourself that big goal, in a, in a way, you, and, and people will probably think I'm, I'm wrong and people might argue differently, but I feel like you're always setting yourself up for failure because if, you're, if you don't reach that big long-term goal of like playing in the Premier League or whatever, you're just going to knock yourself down like completely. It's going to kill your confidence. But if you set yourself like you do with these little, 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 little tiny goals and focus on the process rather than the end goal, then I feel like that'll take you further and it'll build your confidence up a little bit more rather than, right, my goal is Premier League. At the minute, I'm playing non-league or I'm playing conference or whatever. This is what mm-hmm. like you need to think about. Right today, I need to do ten passes with my right foot, like you said, ten passes with my left foot. And the next day, I want to be able to do twenty. And by next week, I want to be able to put that into game, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Focusing on them little steps rather than the end. The end. Well, there's a good will... model. There's a good model that I use. I mean, I, I the kind of last two three years, I've, I've put a lot of time and effort into kind of mental training and working yeah. with with mental coaches because I know how important the kind of mental side of goalkeeping is and we work on it very little compared to the physical or technical side and one model that what that I've used and found really effective in terms of goal setting is a is a model where you have three different type of goals so you have your ultimate goal which might be to play in the Premier League or whatever it is set it as high as you want to set it the next kind of stage is a, a product goal and a product goal is things that I want to achieve, which I know if I start achieving that, it will help me towards the ultimate goal. So for example, I want my save percentage to be over 80%. I want my passing accuracy to be 75% over a long distance or whatever it is, those kind of product goals. And then the third tier is a process goal. So things that I have to do every single day in order to help me achieve a product goal, which will then ultimately help me achieve my ultimate goal. 
So a process goal would be, I need to make sure that I join in with the outfielders in the rondo before training so that I can work on my first touch, I can work on my passing, things like that. So the process goals are very, very small, but they help you achieve those product goals, which are bigger, but on the ultimate goal that you want to get to, but put all three layers together and suddenly you've got a full path towards where you want to go without being overwhelmed by a huge goal that you've set for yourself. Yeah, the way you spit it up there is perfectly, like thinking about the little processes that actually get to the big goal rather than thinking about, right, that's the big goal. I want to get there not and then not actually putting a plan in place. Like you need to have yeah. a sort of plan. And that's why I talk about the process, why I name a podcast the process. Because I feel like if you, first of all, enjoy it and if you get the right process and you're, you're working day by day, working up to whatever your goal is, like mm-hmm. you're only going to get better and you're going to improve. So I like that little thing that you put together. So kind of taking it, working in reverse, isn't it? You've got your, you've got your yeah. end goal, the little steps that I need to get to that little goal and then working forward. Great stuff. Yeah. So we're wrapping up last five minutes. So what is your kind of plans in terms of both YouTube and football in terms of career wise as well? What kind of path are you look hoping hoping that things well, go down? Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a difficult time for, for everyone right now, of course, yeah. but especially with football. I mean, my contract has literally just finished with the club that I was at in Gibraltar. The season was cancelled back in beginning of March. Um so now, kind of as an out-of-contract out player, you're trying to find a new contract and you're trying to yeah. find a new place to play. And I mean, that's normally difficult enough as it is, but right now, so many clubs and so many leagues have no idea when they're coming back and no idea when the, when the new season's going to start and no idea on budgets and things like that. So it's very much kind of up in the air and, and my kind of focus is on just controlling the, the things that I can control with, with making sure I'm training, making sure I'm developing and making sure I'm ready for when an opportunity presents itself and um, still obviously reaching out and talking to people and, and trying to see where something might come from. But that's kind of where I'm at at the minute with, with football. I want to keep progressing. I want to keep learning. I want to keep improving as a, as a goalkeeper. And I know that if I keep doing that, then I'll keep moving up and, and playing at a higher level each time. So that's kind of always been my aim with it. And, with YouTube, I've been really enjoying it. It's been great to see kind of a community of people building and, and being positively kind of affected by what I'm doing. And, and I hope that that keeps going. I'll keep documenting what I'm doing as long as I possibly can and hopefully keep bringing value to people and, and keep, it, keep it growing. But it, it's, been, it's been really fun to do, especially during lockdown as well, because I've been able to put more time into it yeah. when things when have stopped. But no, it's, it's, it's all good. No, no, it's good. Like you said, you've got a good little community going kind of thing and you're helping mm. so many lads who are maybe wanting to pursue that football career, giving them little coaching drills during lockdown and stuff. Then you're also, in a way, you're helping yourself because it's kind of you're promoting yourself constantly as well. So if there is teams that like, look, you can say, look, this is my YouTube, this is what I do kind of thing. They can look yeah. and they can say, yeah. all right, this kid's like a role model as well, not just mm. a goalkeeper, which I think will mm. kind of stand you in good stead down the line. So we'll finish off with the three questions, which I've let you have a little bit of a think about. So, yeah. first question is three people, past or present, who you'd like to invite round for dinner? That was a really good question. And I mean, I've probably spent all, I spent all last night like deliberating on where I'd take it. And yeah. I think I've gone down the kind of route of, of present and people that at the minute I've found really impactful on myself and who I'd love to listen to and talk to and learn from. The first person is a guy called Ross Edgley. And some people might not know him, but I'm reading this book at the minute. It's called The Art of Resilience. And 
he um he went to Loughborough, so he's an ex Loughborough alumni, so I've got that connection with him. But he is the first man to swim completely around Great Britain. So he kind of set off from Margate and spent 158 days swimming around Great Britain. And he would swim for six hours while the tide was with him, and then have six hours off, and then swim for six hours, six hours off. He'd sleep on a boat, wouldn't touch land till he did it. And he had zero sick days. And he swam completely around Great Britain in 158 days. And I've been reading his book, and it's incredible because he's kind of combined the idea of physical, obviously, physical capabilities, absolute machine, but with the mental resilience in order to complete a kind of huge task like that. And um, I'd love to kind of sit down and listen to him. And if anyone follows him on Instagram, they'll know that he, like, he loves his food as well. So that would be quite funny. <laughs> but he's, um, I'd recommend anyone go and read his book because he's an amazing person and, and he's um, achieved some pretty incredible things as well. Um, the second guy... I think I quite like to have Stephen Bartlett. Again, I'm not sure if people might know Stephen Bartlett. He's a kind of entrepreneur, CEO of a, of a business called Social, Ta- Social Chain, which is from Manchester, where I'm from. And he's 27, like made a very, very successful career and, and business by himself. He, I mean, he grew up, I think when he was 18, he dropped out of university, lived in Moss Side, which is a really kind of rough area of Manchester and built this business from his laptop while kind of nicking pizzas to live and and things like that. And he was the guy that gave me the idea about the golden envelopes. He was kind of someone that used that to approach investors. And he's a, he's a big kind of thought leader and um, I've really enjoyed following him. And I think he'd be really interesting to, to listen and learn from. Um, And then the third person, I was really struggling with the third person because I've kind of got the sports side of things covered, the, the, like the business side of things covered. And um, I quite like my, I mean, there's a theme in, with these guests, but I quite like my, my books and my literature and I like that kind of thing. And um, I'm a big fan of the story of, of JK Rowling and how she built, I mean, kind of one of the biggest yeah. stories and, and franchises ever. And she did it as a, a single parent, kind of writing in a spare time, got rejected by all these publishers. And I mean, with all these guests, they've gone through a lot of, difficulties and and it works with your podcast in terms of the the theme of process and they've come through so many hardships to try and and build success and I think she's she's someone that I'd love to listen to and hear how she did it and hear how she's built such a a huge well phenomenon in in Harry Potter and and she's obviously very kind of active with politics and and literature as well and I think those three together might be quite a cool dinner party to learn from and just sit back and shut up and just let them talk and learn from them so (laughs) that'd be who i'd go for i think right yeah there's a lot of thought went into them three by the way it's great great solid three selection to be fair uh next one is three people you want to train with so this could be football obviously goalkeeping wise football wise or in the gym yeah i think um i'd love to i kind of thought about goalkeepers straight away and i was thinking about people who've been like elite at what they've done and again who I'd love to learn different things from um I'd love to train with Buffon and I'd just like to hear how he built like how he managed to sustain his level for such a long period of time I mean even now to still be at Juventus whatever he is 42 and and play at the the top of the game for so long 
I'm, and not so not even really from a technical standpoint, but just to watch him train and, and, and listen to him about how he managed to do that. I'd love to do that. Um, right now, I'd love to train with Jan Sommer, who is Russian Mutchen Gladbach's goalkeeper, Swiss national team number one, because he's like the same size as me. He's a smaller goalkeeper. I'm sure he would have had loads of people saying, listen, you're not big enough, you're not going to make it. And to captain his national team and play Bundesliga and Champions League football, I'd love to train with him and just be like, how do you make the most out of your kind of skills and your abilities and, and not being the tallest to, to play at the highest level? So I think training with him would be, would be really cool. Um, and then the last one, I think who you mentioned before, I think I'd love to train with Edison and just be like, yeah. just give me a little bit. Just like show me a little bit about how you do yeah. that with your distribution. How do you keep the ball so long, mate? It's ridiculous. I know. How, <laughs> how do you keep your side volleys at like six foot, but for like so far? Yeah. And, and just try and learn a little bit of that skill because I think he's one of the best yeah. at, at distribution and, and I'd love to pick up some of that. Yeah, I'd like to look, go to his mindset though because I think his mindset must be, he must be ridiculously strong and ridic or ridiculously confident or I don't know if he's just one of those people who are just like naturally like don't care but are just great if you yeah. get what I mean. I'd love to yeah. dive into his mindset. Uh, anyway, last one, last question. So one thing you'd say to yourself five years ago. So five years ago, I was 19. I was just going to Loughborough. Um, I think it would be the fact that I'd say, listen, it's, it's not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. Like, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a straight ride up. No matter the amount of work you put in, there are going to be really tough bits. And what you have to be very confident with is, is your own self-ability. You have to have that self-confidence. You have to be willing to listen and learn from people. But you have to continually just set yourself these goals which will be focused on your improvement and if you continually focus on that you'll get wherever you want to go don't worry about external opinions don't worry about outside pressures don't worry about the things you can't control just build in that process of constantly looking to get better every single day and that'll be kind of the thing that'll see you through with it and I think five years ago that's definitely something I'd tell myself I think if I was a bit younger like I always used to worry about my height I'd say you can't control your height if I was 14 15 I remember being I'd like Republic of Ireland scouts come and watch me all these kind of things and, and I never really got it because I wasn't tall enough and it used to crush me a lot and I was like I'd probably say to myself then I'd be like listen you can't control it if you spend the time that you and and the worry that you put into that on something that you can control and getting better that'll put you in much better stead so I think that's kind of the theme that I'd, I'd coach myself on really yeah no, perfect, mate. So do you want to just shout out your social medias, YouTube, Instagram, or anything where people can find you? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you can find me on YouTube. Def just search Connor O'Keefe. It's just my name. And then same on in Instagram. I think it's con underscore O'Keefe one for Instagram. But yeah, if anyone wants to ask anything, or I'll always help out. So send us a message and I'll, and I'll do what I can. But I'd like to say thank you very, very much for having me on. And I really appreciate you inviting me and I've really enjoyed it and I feel like what you're doing with this podcast is covering an area which is really, really important, especially for, well, for anyone, but especially for young males who are trying to find their way in, in their careers and what they want to do yeah. and, and bringing that to light is, is really good work. So I want to kind of applaud you on that as well. No, cheers, mate. No, I appreciate your time coming on, telling your story and stuff. I know you're probably a busy guy, so no, it means a lot. And I think there's a lot of good advice, a lot of good content in there that I think a lot of people especially young goalkeepers will kind of take forward and 
it'll, it'll uh, help them out a lot. But no, I appreciate that. Thank you, mate. Cheers. No worries. Thank you for having me, mate. Thank you very much if you made it this far. Thank you for listening and thank you, Connor, for coming on the podcast. A lot of great topics we talked about there and I think a lot of people will take a lot from this episode. So if you did enjoy the podcast, remember to subscribe, give us a little five-star rating and a little review would mean a lot as well. And if you haven't already, share this podcast with a friend, share it on social media. Make sure you tag myself at Brendan Pearson Fitness in the story as well and I'll share it on my page it would mean a lot to me if you could do that so thank you again for listening this has been process